Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Welcome to the Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer, and we have Jamie Major with me today as a co-host. How are you doing, Jamie? Good morning, Sam. Life is good. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. I think you and I spent our weekend doing something very similar, which was kids' athletics and taxes. Whoa. So Adulting. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. Death, taxes, and kids' recreational sports, the things that are for sure certain <laughs> at this stage in life, right? I reminisce being 20 years old and, and uh, having zero responsibilities and wonder you know, if you could tell yourself something, uh, go back and tell your younger self some some sort of advice. And you always see that meme, like, what would it be? Um, I Well, mine would be, don't be so excited to make a bunch of money. <laughs> like, I was always like, I'm so ready to get done with college so I can just really start making money. And now as I look back, I'm like, I'm making a lot, but I'm giving a lot back. <laughs> so less than I used to, which is a good position to be in. Yeah, I spent the weekend doing taxes and gathering everything up. And as much as I despise submitting all that information to the government and going through all that process, I am grateful to have oh, yeah. a couple of businesses that I can do some write-off and be creative with it and uh, not feel like stressed if I get audited or going down the wrong path. So having businesses is, um, it's, a, it's a tax advantage, candidly, and there's there's a lot of ways to play it. I think so, too. I think some of this stuff is as the businesses grow and become more profitable, I think you also get the opportunity to write more things off with, you know, with the growth, whether it's new equipment, whether it's, you know, Max is very involved in our business on the social media side. So getting to have him as an employee of FranPath to do those things and child labor, you know, just child, child labor. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's really what we're into here is child labor, but no, I think it's just a really nice way to not have to pay maximum taxes when you're looking at things and mitigate your liability to the United States government legally, obviously. But like you said, I think it's it's something that is a real upside to being a business owner and you're taking a risk by starting a business. And I think that to have to pay in at the same amount as a W-2 employee isn't fair. And I, I, and I would say that to anybody. And I think that's one of the best things about being a business owner is that we get to mitigate our tax liabilities. Well, it's also a part of when you, like you said a minute ago, when you become profitable and you start producing cash flow, then you have the opportunity to engage in your community and find some sort of nonprofit or find some sort of um, uh, charity organization that's important to you or your family or even your employees. And you make a donation in their name. So there's plenty of ways to do that, that, that has ancillary value, but we all want to to do the right thing for our community, wh whatever our passion lies, but you need the cash flow to do it. And fortunately, owning a business provides another vehicle to do some uh, feel-good charitable contributions. I completely agree. I, there's so many upsides to being a business owner, but being able to give back is definitely at the top of my list personally, and I know yours as well. And, you know, we have somebody with us today that's in such a unique business that we just recently added to our portfolio. She's not new to franchising by any stretch of the imagination, 
but I am so excited to introduce Jamie Levine, VP of Franchise Development with Resting Rainbow. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us today. Thank you, Sam and Jamie uh, Major. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I, I feel like I was 20 years old when I joined franchising. I remember being like this young, like the new girl on the scene and stuff, and now I'm 46 and old. <laughs> But I, I love this topic of the taxes and philanthropic stuff, you know, even this business model, which is so unique, and I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, it's section 179 eligible, and there's lots of creative ways for philanthropic write offs. Uh, for instance, we are partnering with the ASPCA to do, um, you know, pet cremations uh, from their shelters, which they'll only pay $10 for, but we'll do a $90 non-cash donation, um, which obviously at the end of the year can be a, a huge write-off, as well as other stuff like, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, we did a funeral for a um, canine dog that was shot in the line of duty. Um, and we picked up the cost of the euthanizing, the um, cremation and a funeral. And this was a huge funeral. They did a helicopter flyover. They had mounted police. They had the police on the motorcycles and a bunch of canine officers with their canines. And uh, it's chilling actually, but, but we donated all of those services and stuff. So, um, but again, it's good, but it is also a great tax write-off as well. So it's a win-win. <laughs> That's, I mean, anytime, it's such a touchy subject, and I want to get into what exactly Resting Rainbow is, but first, I, I want our audience to get familiar with you, because I think in the franchise space, you're very well known. You know, I, I knew who you were right away when I started, and so I think it's just really important. Can you walk us through what is your background? How did you get started in franchising, and then what led you to Resting Rainbow? So I know that's a not a condensed story, but could you just let us know exactly who is Jamie Levine, the other Jamie on this yes, podcast? The other Jamie. We spell it the same way too. It's unusual. Um, <laughs> so I started, I went to school um, to be an art art teacher, actually. Um, always very creative growing up. Um, I've designed quite a few of my own tattoos. As you guys all know, I'm a very colorful human being um, and creative. I have also an identical twin that some a lot of people don't know. So, um, And growing up, being very, very competitive to each other and everyone just assuming we're the same person really encouraged me to always change my appearance as you guys have all seen my hair a few different colors and styles and and to have this uh diamond piercing in my lip right <laughs> always a way just like I gotta be different um so I went into I finished my degree but through uh going to art school I fell into sales by accident I was it worked at a jewelry counter called service merchandise which you guys are probably too young to even know what that is and realized like oh I'm actually pretty good at this uh, the sales thing. Um, eventually got into residential and commercial financing, um, where I really uh, honed in my sales skills and was ranked 14 in the co uh, country for 
um, the company I worked for. And I loved it. I loved helping people um, refinance for reasons for good or, or to fix problems and stuff. But in 2007, I saw the writing on the wall. And actually, it's funny. I got my twin into that same business. Uh, we worked for the same company. And she was even better than I was, which I hate to admit, but it's true. Um, and and uh, But in 2007, I saw the writing on the wall, like the mortgage industry was crashing. Um, so I just posted my resume on Monster um, and Franchise Solutions reached out to me, that online lead generating company. And so that was my foothold into franchising and starting to, you know, get to know all the franchisors, um, you know, working on the supplier side, get my CFE. Then I worked for Franchise Business Review, which does the, you know, satisfaction surveys. That was so integral um, uh, to my me merging into the franchise development world. So Dave Schaefer's, you guys all know Dave, he got, gave me my first um, chance at franchise development working at Meineke Car Care. And man, I love that job. Dave Schaefer's, Ed Pearson, Steve Belko, they all taught me how to grind and how to, you know, how to just be very direct and straightforward, which matched my personality anyways, as a Northeasterner. Um, and then I moved to a senior care franchise for six years called Homewatch Caregivers, which um, my first job as a kid at age 14 was at a nursing home. So it was a really good fit. And that's when I really fell in love with passion-based and community-based brands really, really got into that because that's who I am as a person. Um, and then uh, the company I worked for, Authority Brands, purchased an emerging brand. I'd always wanted to try an emerging brand, like I like the challenge. And so there was my opportunity. And with having four dogs and a rabbit at one point, five dogs, a cat and a rabbit, I was like, ah, animals, that's my, that's my jam. So they gave me the opportunity to do so. And man, did I have so much fun with that process of helping to create the process, create the materials, educate the new franchisor that's new to franchising, you know, what works, what doesn't work and, and, and changing things. That was a, a blast. And then, you know, things, uh, you know, got that brand rocking and rolling, or it, not by myself as a team. And then I learned about Resting Rainbow, and I was blown away by this brand, um, the sheer opportunity and all the boxes that it checks for most candidates that you guys work with, right? Um, but it has this ick factor, you know, and I was like, I, I just love the concept of the challenge. And when I met the founders, um, I fell in love with them and I, uh, in love with their story and so forth. And I think 2024 for this brand is going to be huge. Can you tell us what Resting Rainbow does? Yeah, Resting Rainbow is a pet cremation franchise. Um, so they are focusing on private pet cremation. Um, we talked earlier, death and taxes, right? It's a two things. They're inevitable. They're inevitable. They're inevitable. And every single one of us who have pets, do you guys have pets? Yes. 
Yep. And I have a dog laying right over here sleeping. Um, so it, they are inevitable. Everybody's pet, unfortunately, is going to pass away. And most people think they have to go to the veterinarian to take care of it, um, which in reality, they're not doing anything. They're giving them to companies like Resting Rainbow. So it's a private pet cremation business. And it's important to emphasize private because over the last 20 something years, pet cremation has been around for a while, but most of those cremating companies have been doing communal pet cremation. Um, and people are getting ashes back there, not just their dog. And the demand now is, no, we want private cremation. We w and so that's one of the things that drew me into this brand is the founder told me this story about why he started the brand. He said his brother and sister-in-law had a cremation business. Um, and he, his beloved Rottweiler died. And he went to them, said, will you do private pet cremation? And they said, yes, they didn't even discount it. <laughs> they gave, they charged him full price. And he showed up the day that, it, that her, his dog was going to be um, cremated. They didn't know he was going to show up and he wanted to watch and be there. And when he got there, his dog was on top of a pile of other animals. And he's like, what is going on? Why is she up there? What is, you promised me. And they're like, oh, calm down, Joe. Stop being so dramatic. This is what we, this is what the cremators do. And he's like, no. And he took his dog down. I mean, so dramatic, very emotional. And he found a cremating company that would let him be there, watch, so to ensure. So the public wants they want that professionalism, empathy, empathy, and, you know, to trust that they're going to get their ashes back. Um, so that's what pet uh, resting rainbow is. It's a pet cremation business that's working with the community um, from a trust and respect standpoint to create a more professional, empathetic um, way to say goodbye to your pets. It's, you know, pets are part of the family. Even thinking about that, like I, I like could feel the tightness in my chest just thinking about my girls. I have, I have a son, but my girls are my dogs, <laughs> my golden doodles, and so I think of that and just you want to do right by them. And as generations go on, my parents had dogs when they were growing up, and they were outside dogs, they were working dogs, they were farm dogs, and then when we were growing up. We had dogs that would be outside during the day, but they would come in the house to sleep at night or they would kind of go back and forth. And now everybody I know has fully inside dogs, right? But we're not like your dogs aren't hanging outside your house or your neighbors are like calling the police on you right. for mistreatment, right? Like it's, and you bring your you dog have a dog. The, and you bring your dog to the grocery store and leave them in the car and they're calling, you know, the police like you left your dog in the car. Well, it's 40 degrees out. It's okay. <laughs> It's, I mean, it truly, that truly is like, there's always like people are policing dog treatment, but I think it's where we've really come as a society. When I was, you know, 15 years ago, you wouldn't go out and eat outside at a patio and have animals everywhere. And now I can't imagine going and having a drink at an outside patio and not having our dogs with us. And so I think it's just where we're headed as a society. And I do think that there are a lot of dual income with no kids but multiple pets. And that's really where we're seeing people moving is that a lot of people are saying, we're not going to have kids, but we are going to rescue four dogs. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we want to do. 
And so I think the fact that we're seeing these businesses come into play is really indicative of where we're seeing people head because they're truly members of the family, Mm -hmm. these animals. Now, can you talk about the services that Resting Rainbow provides? It's so much more than just cremation. What what are all of the services that this business is providing? Yeah, it, it's a multi-revenue lines, actually. Um, so private cremation is, of course, where it starts. Um, and from there, franchisees are able to upsell by um, doing it faster. You know, it's typically a 7 to 10 business day turnaround, but some people can't grieve that long. They need instant satisfaction so they can do, um, you know, same day or next day turnaround. Um, There are going to be people just like Joe, one of the founders, who want to actually participate in the cremation and view. Um, And so you charge for that. I don't think I could ever do that, but who am I to judge somebody that does need to do that? Um, In fact, we just had a discovery day where a gal showed up with a, a less than a one pound parakeet. And she wanted to be a part of the cremation process. So her ticket for this less than one pound parakeet was over $600. I mean, and she was so emotionally attached. And the candidates there were like, I've never seen someone so emotionally attached to a bird. You know, they, it's easy to think of how people would get attached to a dog and a cat, but this is for all animals, right? Um, we also do pet pickups. So, you know, again, most people are going to go straight to the veterinarian clinics, but if your dog dies in the middle of the night and you want to get your animal out of the house before your young children wake up and have to experience that, you know, we do 24 hour pickup where we will go to the house and pick up that pet, um, whether it's to bring them back because it's the you know middle of the day or in the middle of the night. Um, and of course, there's a charge for that. Then beyond that, we're also going into working with a handful of vets to do in-home euthanasia and creating it as a package deal. And that tends to get, you know make some people's you know, bells ring like, oh, well, do I have to be licensed for that? No, because the vet does that. You're just partnering with the vet and you're advertising it. So they're going to call you, you're making the appointment, but it's a package deal. Uh, But then of course there's urns and jewelry and you can have ashes turned into diamonds. Um, And then there is ancillary things like DNA testing and necropsy, which is if you had a young pet die and you want to know why. Um, So it's an autopsy and believe it or not, cloning. We've only done it once so far, um, but cloning is also an option, which is insanely expensive. Um, And then there's no guarantee. Um, So those are some of the, you know, multi-revenue streams, but as an emerging brand, that's going to grow. And as franchisees have new ideas, that's one of the benefits of emerging brand is we'll be able to continue to add uh, to those services. Sam's over there thinking about cloning her dog right now. I can see it on her face. Well, when I heard Barbara Streisand cloned her dog, I mean, I did say to my husband, listen, we could get another or we could get another Goldie. (laughs) So I'm already on that. When I read her her biography, I was like, now this is something I would do. But did they say how much it cost, Sam? Oh, no. Barbara Streisand did not. You know, she's in a – I'm guessing – you know, mildly different tax bracket than I am Maybe. speaking of taxes. <laughs> but I mean, when it comes to your pets, you know, you don't 
I feel like a lot of the times we just don't draw the line. It is a bit different. Like you, it's kind of like your children. Absolutely. You're like, what does that cost to do that? Yep. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. They don't. And when you're, when you're in mourning and you've got a, somebody there dropping off their pet, they're just like, ching. they just keep adding and adding. And even in lower income areas, people will spend money. They will sacrifice their food for that week to make sure this happens. Um, Emily Romero, you guys know Emily Romero. I just saw her the other day and she's like, we were talking about it and she's like, yeah, when I was in college, my cat died and I ate ramen for a month so that I could spend the $400 to get her, um, you know, cremated and get the ashes back, you know? So even people who are lacking financially are going to make sacrifices to memorialize their animals. Well, those of us that are animal lovers, I mean, you walk in the house and it's unconditional love and I have a boxer and she just jumps all over you and uh, is just excited to see you or left her in the car the other day and forgot about her in the garage. And then to go let her out, she's all happy and excited. She's not bad. She's cheery. Like, I mean, it's just unconditional love that, um, that these dogs give you and your family and how much joy they bring. So when they do pass, it's, it's, uh, I think they deserve it. Honestly, they deserve the, 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 you know to be treated right. But. Yeah, Jamie. I think that's like when Sam was talking about earlier about how, um, you know, generations have changed of how they see their animals is people are really seeing, I mean, we get service animals and us all this stuff. People are realize that these animals give us so much um, that we need to give them more, you know? So go ahead, Jamie, you're going to ask something. Sorry. I was going to say, walk us through the opportunity here. So on a, on a, a business case, so what is the, what is a franchisee going to do? What is a day in the life of an owner? Um, maybe you can talk about some financials here. Just, just talk about the, the viable opportunity. This is not a fit for everybody, but for the right people, this can be a great fit. So if you could lay that, set that table, that'd be great. Yeah, there's so there's two barriers to entry here. The first is the ick factor. Not everyone's going to want to deal with the sadness side of it or having to deal with actually deceased animals. And remember, we're dealing with all animals all the way down to lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know, we've actually cremated Flipper the dolphin. Um, but so not everyone can handle that. Uh, but I look at it from a perspective that you're helping people say goodbye in a better and more meaningful way, just like you would with senior care when I was at home watch caregivers, right? Um, the second, uh, the barrier to entry is finding a location for a cremator. And this is where the franchisor really plays the heaviest role in um, getting a franchisee launched because it, it, it does have to be an EPA um, uh, zoned county and it's a giant furnace basically, right? Um, so, but once you get past that, there's so many pluses. It only takes two to three unskilled employees. And when I say unskilled, I mean, you could hire from the Department of Corrections, which we encourage people to do because of the tax write-offs on the payroll taxes. Um, so it is incredibly unskilled. You need somebody that is front of house, that's answering the phone and welcoming people who are coming to drop off pets 
or pick up their pet's ashes. And, you know, that's what they're doing. That person just has to be organized and empathetic. And then you need a technician that's actually processing the pets. Um, so that's going to take a special person because they have to be okay with that ick factor. Um, and that's, again, where the Department of Corrections people come in, like, they're happy to have a second chance, um, et cetera. And then the third person only really comes into play um, when you need more drivers to do pickups from the vet clinics, et cetera. But this is almost like, it's a terrible say, but set it and forget it. You put animals in the cremator and now you've got an hour to kill. What are you going to do? That technician can now go, now go to the vets to pick up animals and stuff like that. So what does the owner do? The owner is decides on whether they want to be owner-operator or semi-absentee. We even will allow absentee. So it depends on if they want to be owner-operator. Most likely, they're going to take on that front-of-house role. Um, if they want to be semi-absentee, they just have to manage that 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 operating um, you know person that that front of house person which would be essentially the office manager they also have to of course make sure they're paying attention to their trust and respect in their community you know those google reviews of manage their pnl etc you know those types of things but the thing is is this is really a super simple simple model but it's also very high margins. Um, the demand is enormous, like huge, and the supply is this, this big. In the entire country, there's only about a thousand pet cremators. Each market I look at, there's usually one to two competitors, and that's it. But hundreds of vet clinics. So it's a huge demand, little supply. And margins are really high. Right now in our item 19, we're at a 35.8% EBITDA margin which is huge. So for the first six months of 23, that is 138,983 just in six months, just in six months. Um, so, and that is year three of cremating pets for resting rainbow. Um, so year one, uh, year two, which was in 22, we did just under just a little more than 180,000 in EBITDA. Um, and what's really cool about those numbers is that our corporate location just has a one chamber uh, cremator, and it's very small. Our franchisees will start with a two chamber large cremator, so their output opportunity more than doubles. And for some reason or another, our corporate location did not choose to actively market to vet clinics. They chose to go after the consumer business first and build up a really awesome Google review and build trust and community and let the vets come to them. So, of course, with the franchisee, we're not that we're not going to do that model. We're going to have teach them to actively go after those vet clinics to earn the business um, because that's seventy five percent of the business. So. Once it's up and running, it's kind of a smooth sailing, very simple model and incredibly scalable because it's a hub and spoke model. That's really, it's so interesting that there's a lot of B2B in this too. I think when you think about this business, it's a very touchy feely helper gene. Like you really think of somebody also, who can, like you said, you mentioned the ick factor. You have to be able to handle that. I think that there's a special person that could definitely do that. But, you know, I don't think I realized until you said 75% of the business is from vet clinics, that you really would have to have somebody that understands B2B. And that's so many of the clients that we work with are really adept at identifying those opportunities. And so many people that want to make a difference 
outside of corporate America, that's where their strong suit lies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the big, hairy, audacious opportunity, though, is instead of, instead of BHAG, I call it the big, hairy, audacious opportunity, is diving deeper into the consumer market um, because they have been trained um, that they have to go to the vet. And so when a franchisee can get involved in the community and help them realize that they can come directly to you, it'll cost them less money, um, more than half in, in most cases, and they'll hopefully have a much better experience. That's even better for the franchisee because their margins go skyrocketing um, because they don't have to discount with they like they do with the vets. But the vets, they don't pay as much, but they give us the volume. So, for instance, in that EBITDA number I just referenced for the first six months of 23, we did 2,559 cases, which is a pet. And out of that, 1,923 were with the vets. So that shows you how much business is with the veterinarian clinics. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie, you shared a lot of great information today. Obviously, you spent most of your career in franchising totally accidentally like the rest of us. And being as talented and awesome as you are, we know you could go anywhere. What is your personal compelling reason for being in the franchise industry, for deciding to help people find businesses that really light their souls on fire? You know, for me, it's being authentic and real with people and, um, uh, and what's the word responsible. I, I really believe in responsible franchising. I like to really be very authentic and real and responsible in my franchise uh, development process. So that I would say is probably my biggest compelling reason is I think some people are bamboozled and I don't ever want to bamboozle anybody. I love that. And I think that's one of the reasons that when you announced you were going to Resting Rainbows is, is kind of the you is that your ethics and your character and the way that you handle um, tough situations that are very direct and honest, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the ethics and to doing right. We want um, uh, people that get into a business to go achieve their dreams and success. And if that's not going to happen, then simply say, no, this is not a fit. And I have full confidence that you do that and will do it. And I've seen you do it. And it's great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's not always well received saying no to somebody or, uh, you know, because, you know, there's other people involved, like, you know, consultants like yourselves or whatnot, and you're, you're saying no to your candidate who wants it. And that can, that can ruffle some feathers sometimes. Um, but yeah. No is the best thing that people can hear, especially, you know, one thing we lead with here is going into business undercapitalized. Dangerous. Is- Dangerous. Dangerous. It is life ruining. It is possibly the worst thing you can do. And I think we have to be really, really upfront with people that financial requirements set forth by franchise brands, specifically if you want to run something semi passively and pay a manager and do all and keep that day job, that's there for a reason. And it's protection on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think there's anything wrong. Even if you know somebody isn't a fit and you're two calls in and they say, This is it, I'm doing it. And you're thinking you are, you're not the person we need. Mm-hmm. That is, that's protection at the end of the day. And when we have clients that are told that 
to me, I would much rather that they know that right away. Mm-hmm. And it's not a personal thing. It's the brand is looking out for their future, but also your future. Mm-hmm. Because the worst thing we can do is get somebody into a situation that down the road, it's not a fit. And whether that's financially or personally, or we don't see it being a fit with leadership in the brand and the candidate that we've sent, we need to know that. And I I don't think that anybody that is in this business for the right reason would ever fault a brand, a development person, or a candidate for removing themselves from contention at any point in time. Now, Jamie, we ask one last question of you, and that is the best piece of advice you have ever received. The best advice I've gotten in franchising when I was moving into franchise development. And uh, we all know Tom Wood from Floor Coverings International, right? Um, When I was getting into um, uh, franchise development and talking with Dave Schaefer's and stuff, and I was talking with Tom Wood and stuff, they they were having me do these personality tests and so forth. And, um, you know, and he's like, Tom goes, Jamie, the most important thing you need to understand is you cannot believe people's words. Don't be, um, what's the word? Don't, don't be a schmuck. That's not the word, but you know, don't, don't, don't be, don't believe everything everybody says, right? Believe their actions, not their words, because I could get on here and totally fake it till I make it, tell you, you know, exactly what you want to hear and just say it, but not really mean it and not follow through. And so that's something I had to learn very, very early on in FranDev. And I lost my first deal because of it, actually. Um, And from that point forward, that was at Meineke, from that point forward, I put in place, and I don't care, it, it, it ticks people off sometimes, but I put in a actual process of little homework assignments. And if they don't do the homework, you don't get the FDD. You don't get the. You don't get the dessert. You're not getting your candy. That's where the dessert is because of that item 19. And I know you want it. Um, and if they show up and on a call and they didn't do their homework, I reschedule the call. And what's really cool about that is how they act or respond to that says so much about if they're really a buyer or not, or somebody I want to work with, right? If they are humble and apologize and, and say, I will take care of it. And then on the next call, they did their homework and they're fully prepared. I love it. Or if they're like, I'm better than this. I don't need your homework. Da, da, da. They're not right for me, you know, or, or our brand, et cetera. So that, that's my best piece of advice in, I think, franchising I ever received is don't believe people's words. Believe their action. The time and effort somebody puts into the upfront process is a pretty good indication of how they're going to be as a business owner. So uh, it, it, nobody wants to sell a franchise to somebody that's not going to achieve immense success. And, and when you put these little, these little stop points in there, you can identify pretty early on if somebody is serious about um, analyzing the business, taking the right mindset, the right approach. I'm always convinced that half of, if not more than half of business ownership is a mindset. It's really not rocket science to make money owning a business, but it does take the right mindset and the right leadership skills. And um, yeah, and, and some of that, some of that extra work up front can be a really good indication. Yep. 
and not everybody agrees with me on this and that's okay it's my style and it's worked really really well for me um and you know uh, i'm always willing to adapt and make changes and i'm always looking at numbers to to see okay is it taking too, you know, and how many people are dropping off at this stage and this stage? Okay, maybe I need to tweak it and make changes and stuff. But, you know, it works for me. <laughs> well, that's all that matters, right? And it's been working for a long time. And we really appreciate you sharing Resting Rainbow with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. What another cool brand that's in the portfolio to talk to candidates about. It's not a Subway. It's not a Jimmy John's. It's not It's not a McDonald's or a Great Clips or some of the common brands that you think of when you think of franchising. And, um, you know, it's just another example of a really good opportunity for community and financials for the right person. If you're excited about Resting Rainbow or any of the other brands that are in our portfolio, we would love to learn more about you. You can find us at frampathconsulting.com. Just click the learn more button to book time with a specialist or follow us on all social platforms at Frampath. If you're listening to this podcast, remember it's free to you and we don't have a tip board to turn around and ask for, but you can tip us by giving us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Thank you so much for listening.